Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. Amen. Y'all ready to get in this word today? Yes. My goodness, I'm excited. Man, you know, we've been talking uh, from the message theme, uh, Think Rich, Live Wealthy. And just in case you've been wondering, what does that mean? What I mean, think rich, live wealthy. What are you talking about? This is the mindset behind think rich, live wealthy. You know, as as believers, as children of God, as citizens of his kingdom, as um, receivers, recipients of all that Jesus has already done, you should be able to think rich. Why? Because our God has already supplied. Yes. Say amen to that. Amen. Our God has already supplied. And he is generous. He's lavish. So you can think rich. You don't compare to thinking in lack or thinking in scarcity, scarcity or thinking in insufficiency. We think rich because our God has already supplied in abundance. Yes. Amen or amen. amen. Think rich. And then what the Bible shows us, the principles in the Bible is we lay them out. If you go back and listen to the messages shared during this this message uh, theme, you'll see that if you're thinking rich, if you set your your thoughts, you set your mind on things above. If you're thinking rich, then you can live wealthy. You don't have to, we're not living from a place of poverty, but we're living already being full. Jesus said in in Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, around verse nine, Paul said about Jesus that though he was yet very rich, yet for our sakes he became. Very poor that we through his poverty might be the amplified uses the word enriched. And I like how he uses the word enriched because it means that there's something on the inside of me that can overcome my situation. See, being being rich can be a circumstantial thing. If he just left me to be rich, that could be subject to the market. That could be subject to the time that could be subject to my good or bad decisions. But if I'm enriched, if I'm enriched, then I, then I can lose it and gain it back. It can be stolen and I can receive more. I've been enriched. Amen. That's not about that's that has that 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 doesn't have to do with my outside external conditions, but it's an inward positioning. I've been enriched. Say that I'm enriched, I'm enriched. by Jesus. So think rich, live wealthy. Today I want to talk to you from the message title, No Substitute. No Substitute. Go ahead and tell your neighbor that's the message title. The message title is No Substitute. No substitute. Ask your other, the person on the other side of you if they have any substitutes. <laughs> no substitutes. The purpose of the message is to, well, listen, I'll back up here. The purpose of my preaching is to get you to make a decision. The purpose of my preaching is to get you to make a decision. I end every message taking us to a place of decision, a point of decision. Remember, the most important things that, the thing that happens on a Sunday service is, is not this 45-minute talk but it's what we do with the 45-minute talk. 
So the purpose of, of the message, the purpose of the preaching is to get us to a place where we can make a decision based on the things that we've heard. Amen. Amen. So and today I want to make you to make I want to lead you to a place where you're able to make a decision about removing substitutes from your life. Because there is no substitute for Jesus. And throughout life, we accumulate a lot of substitutes, right? But there is no substitute for Jesus. There are no substitute saviors. There are none. There are no substitute saviors. There are no locum lords. Locum. I had to find that word in the thesaurus. That's a graduate student word. Locum. It means substitute. It's not a word that we use every day. But there's another word that we don't use every day that I want to talk about. That word is idolatry. You don't hear that one every day either. Idolatry. To have a substitute. Idolatry. Idol. When we place things in God's place. That's idolatry. When you place things in God's place, when you put things in a place that God is supposed to fill, when we look for other things to do, the things that God wants to do for us, it's idolatry. It means that you have an, an idol. You might be asking, well, what is idolatry? What is me finding substitutes? What, is, what does this have to do with my wealth? Well, that's the thing. Because if you look in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, this will be our verse for today. Galatians chapter 5, our key verse, our main verse, won't be the only verse, but one that you can take in your notes and look at at home. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse number 19 in the Amplified. This is what it says. It says, it says, now the doings, the practices of the flesh are clear. They're obvious. They are immorality, impurity, indecency, there's our word, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, ill temper, selfishness, divisions and dissensions, party spears, factions, sects with peculiar opinions or heresies, things that divide us come from the flesh, envy, drunkenness, carousing and the like. These are things that come from the flesh. Idolatry comes from the flesh. How does idolatry, why does idolatry originate in your flesh or in your carnality or in your thinking that, that you didn't allow God to have a part of, you know, in the, the judgments that you make outside of God's wisdom, that's carnality. The decisions and conclusions that you come to, but you didn't allow or give God room to judge in that space, that's idol, that's, that's, Carnality. How does idolatry come from your flesh? Because idolatry is your way to satisfy the things in your flesh. We form idols. We, we grab and hoard up substitutes to appease our flesh. I need peace and I need peace quickly. So I look for things in order to bring me peace. I need security. So we're looking for security, which is a, which is a satisfaction of the flesh. But instead of getting my security from God or, or pursuing it his way, I find substitutes to appease my, my flesh. Idolatry comes from the flesh. It's a way that we appease our flesh. We find these substitutes, these fill-ins, right? 
It's really in order to appease our flesh. What can I do to quickly bring me comfort? Right? In my mind, in my soul, I'm not ready to ascend to God's way of doing things. So what can I substitute God's way? How can I substitute? How can I find a, a something? I don't want to give up my way of living. So how can I find something else, some other way to get me the things that I need? How can I circumvent God's way? And it's all to satisfy the flesh. Right. But there's nobody like Jesus. How many of you know that? Amen. You know that there's nobody like Jesus. For Jesus, there is no substitute. Other, other things have valid substitutes. There's some other things that have some valid substitutes like teachers. Substitute teacher, you know. You bring a substitute in, teacher say they're sick. Not a good teacher, though. Ain't no substitute for a good teacher. <laughs> I, I've, worked with, I've worked with kids for many years, and it, and, it, and it always baffled me how you can have a kid who, who just act a monkey with their teacher. Then they have a substitute, and they cry. And I come and I'm like, why are you crying? You obviously hate your regular teacher. Now the teacher is going, why are you upset? And they say, no, I love my teacher. I said, how do you love him and you treat him like dirt every day? It's baffling to me. So ain't no sub- maybe there's not a substitute for a good, loving teacher, but we, we throw people in that position. You know, substitutes, substitute teachers is like throwing somebody to the wolves. I, I feel I have a there's, a there's a special place in my heart for substitute teachers. Anyway, so some things have valid substitutes. Teachers have valid, you know, teachers have substitutes. Cheese. Yeah, there's substitute cheese. Y'all didn't know that? My daughter, my daughter, the little one, Mackenzie, um, you know, she's five. So we still working on her with eating her vegetables, you know. She loves cheese. She loves cheese. She loves meats, of course. She loves chicken. She loves bacon, right? She loves cheese. She'll eat a grilled cheese sandwich every day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Give me grilled cheese, right? So you know what I did. I went shopping one day, and I went to the vegetarian aisle where they have substitute cheese. Yeah. And and for about a week, I substituted her regular cheese for this vegetarian cheese. And she didn't know the difference. And I ain't never say nothing. So there's valid substitutes for cheese, right? Some things have valid substitutes, right? But there are no substitutes for, for other things. There are no substitutes for Viva paper towels. Anybody use Viva paper towels? You, you raise your hands high. You'd be proud of that, man. Ain't no substitute for Viva. No nothing. If you haven't tried Viva, you're you cheating yourself. Once you try Viva, you'll never go back. Ain't no substitute for paper towels, amen, viva. There's no substitute for Jesus. There's no substitute for Jesus. Am I putting Jesus and viva paper towels on the same level? No, I'm not, but just you'll never forget it that there's no substitute for Jesus, just like there ain't no substitute for viva paper towels. That's the whole point of an analogy, right? Just to ingrain it in your brain so when you leave here, you actually remember something. Every time you go to Publix and you see Viva paper towels, you're going to say to yourself, ain't no substitute for Viva paper towels, ain't no substitute for Jesus. That's the whole point. That's all I want to do is to give you something so that you don't forget. There's no substitute for Jesus. 
But it's so easy. We so easily fall into the trap of looking for substitutes. It's so easy for us to fall into this place where we look for substitutes. And many people settle for less. Many people settle for less. Many try to substitute Jesus with physical provisions. Many people today are trying to substitute Jesus for physical things. Yeah, I can, we can make a long list of things that people try to substitute for Jesus. I mean, even in, in, in his time when he was on this earth, that's what people were doing. We know the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 when he turned his two fish and the five loaves into enough food to feed the 5,000 families. The, after that, after that happened, we saw a group of people who were following him, not because he was Savior and Lord, but they were following him because he fed them. They were trying to substitute who he was for physical provisions. They were looking for him because he gave them bread, not realizing that he is the bread. Amen, amen. And people do the same thing today. There are people who substitute physical things for Jesus. There are people who substitute his way of doing things for their way of doing things. It happens all the time. It happens to the best of us, you know. We substitute our way. We figure out a way to, to, to gain what we want, and we'll implement and employ our way, and we'll work our way as best we can and substitute our way for his way. It happens all the time. Understanding, or then hopefully we come to the understanding that he is the way. He is the way. The way to God is narrow. The way to the Father is narrow. There is only one way, and that way is Jesus. Even though people for centuries have been looking for other ways in order to get to the Creator, people have looked for other ways to get to God, but there's only one way, and Jesus is that way. There is no valid substitute for Jesus. Amen or amen. 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 There's a there's a um, there's an account in the Bible that's very familiar to most of us where there was a lady who who obviously was, uh, you know, deplete of some things that she needed. And she had been spending years looking for substitutes. And they just didn't do. One day she meets Jesus. You know, you know, the story It's in John four. Let's put it up there. John four, starting at verse number one. You know, one day um, Jesus and his disciples are, are, are traveling and they want to take a shortcut through Samaria. Jesus, in his humanity, is a little famished, a little exhausted from, you know, the work of ministry and traveling. So he stops at this place. He stops by a well. He sends the disciples out in order to get um, some provision. He stops at this well. And it just so happens that at the same time he's there, there's a lady from Samaria. She's also at this well. And most of you are familiar with the story. But I want to read through it and, and point some things out for you. You ready? Yes. I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible, starting at verse number one. It says, now when the Lord knew, learned, when he became aware that the Pharisees had been told that Jesus was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. And in doing so, he arrived at a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the tract of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, a place of provision for the body. So Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down to rest by the well. 
And I think that that is just so profound. And that's just like Jesus. And that's so I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that there are several of you here that have been walking with him enough. And you've experienced him sit next to. Something that has challenged his position in your life. I can think about the times in my own life where I was leaning on substitutes and I was looking for other things in order to provide me something that I'm supposed to receive from Jesus. And I've been so grateful that his love is so great that instead of walking away from me in those seasons or in those moments, but he comes and he sits next to. He comes and he points out the distraction. He comes and he makes it clear that you're trying to use this as a substitute. And I love Jesus more because he loves me enough to point out my wrong. So here he is, he's walking through this town and he comes and he chooses to sit next to this source of physical fulfillment. Like Jesus is often doing, he's always teaching. It was no accident that he chose to sit in this place. But there was a profound point that he wanted to make by sitting there. And the student of the day comes, the young lady comes in order to pull some nourishment for her physical body from that well. And in so doing, Jesus engages her in some conversation. Let's look at verse nine. The Samaritan woman said to him after he asked her for a drink, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink, for the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead and he would have given you living water. Oh, that's a good point right there. Do you know who you're dealing with? with. When you've approached Jesus, and many of you in this room have, when you approached Jesus, did you know who it was that you're dealing with? Did you really take time to consider who it was that you're approaching? See, many times, most of us, most of our, our, our salvation ex experiences, we approach him as Savior, and we're looking for salvation and truth be told, many times we leave it right there. There is so much more to him. When you've approached him, when you approach him, did you know who it was that you were dealing with? Obviously, what Jesus is pointing out to this woman, he said, you know, if you realized who you were talking to, then this encounter would be reversed. I wouldn't be asking you for water, but you would be asking me for water. Yeah. If you understood who I was, if you understood who was in front of you. And I know that we would like to say that we know. And I understand that it is a ever it's a and I'm always learning. We're always learning. We're always going from the Bible says glory to glory. And we're going from understanding to understanding. And we're in a relationship with him. And I hope my prayer for you is that you should see yourself always progressing, never arriving. Your relationship with him, the knowledge of him, he's so expansive that you should always be progressing in knowing him and going deeper in your relationship with him. Don't ever deceive yourself to thinking that you've known enough. 
Because once you come to the place where you think you've arrived, you miss a whole lot. And the truth is that there are things that we're searching for, even us who walk with him. We search for things in, for our life. We search for things for satisfaction. We search for things for, for, for uh, fulfillment outside of him because we don't realize that he has it. He has what you're looking for. So we make alternatives. We search for alternative ways to join, alternative ways for peace, alternative ways for wealth, alternative ways for happiness and fulfillment in my relationships. And we think that, you know, I want to have fun. So in order to have fun, I got to find my fun outside this way. But when it's time for me to do the church thing, I'll come back this way. And it's only because you don't know who it is that's standing in front of you. You don't know who it is who's at that well with you. If you knew who he was, you would understand that he's got all your joy, all your happiness, all your fun, all your living, everything that you need. He has it. I don't have to look anywhere else. He's my source. He's my supply. He's got it all. Everything that I need. He's given me a full life to enjoy. And he's given it to me richly. And he isn't holding anything back from me. So this lady is standing at the well, thirsting, thirsting. She gets in this conversation with Jesus. Jesus says to her, if you realize who it was that was standing before you, you'll be asking me for a drink. And look at what he says. He said, he says, you would have asked him, me, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, no drawing bucket, and the well is deep. How then can you provide living water? And her problem, I know we look back and we, we wonder, you know, we're so smart today. And we look at this lady and we say, how can she have been so shallow that to not understand that he wasn't talking about a physical thing? Yeah, that's what we do. We look at her and we like, we're like, come on, lady, you didn't, you know, he's not talking about physical water, right? But we make the same mistake. Because we want to come, we compartmentalize our lives and we separate the spirit from the physical. And there's so many things that we put in this physical box and we say that this has to do with my physical life and this has to do with my spiritual life. And I got Jesus for my spiritual life, but because he's spiritual, I don't have to bring him over here to my physical life. Not understanding that if you get your spiritual right, There's many people who don't understand yet that the spiritual is the root for everything else. That's right. Amen. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, no drawing bucket, and the well is deep. How then can you provide living water? Where do you get your water from? I think she was pretty smart in asking the questions that she did. Shoot, what kind of water are you talking about? Where do you get your water from? Are you greater than and superior to our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well and who used to drink from it himself and his sons and his cattle also? Jesus answered her, all who drink from this water will be thirsty again. Oh, no one, no thing can satisfy like Jesus. All who drink this water will be thirsty again. 
And isn't that the cycle of our lives? The things that you search for, the things that we search for, the alternative things, the substitutional things that we search for, we always have to go back again and go back again and go back again and go back again because the truth is it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying. In verse 14, he says, but whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never no, never be thirsty any more. But the water I will give him shall become, check this out, a spring of water welling up, flowing bubbly continually within him into or for eternal life. Look what he says. The water I give you will leave a deposit that you can continue to draw from. Goodness, nobody don't do it like Jesus does it. Amen. When Jesus does it, he does a full work. Yes. He don't leave the work undone. He says, listen, I'll give you something that once it gets on the inside of you, you'll just be able to draw from it from the rest of your life. Yes. I want that type of water. I want that type of fulfillment, that type of satisfaction, right? I want a deposit made on the inside of me that whenever I need something, I can search deep with, on the in- with something. A deposit was made on the inside of you when you decided to have Jesus Lord over your life. He made a deposit on the inside of you, and you can go to that deposit, his spirit, on the inside of you whenever you have a need. There is no need outside of its jurisdiction. It can handle everything, 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 everything. It don't matter what it is. What's on the inside of you can handle it. It is, there's nothing too small. There's nothing too big. The deposit that's made on the inside of you, can co- it covers it all, everything. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Give me this water. Give me this water. Shoot. And she's thinking about her life. She's thinking about the reason she came to that well in the first place. At the height of the sun. It's hot out here. Nobody else come out to get water at this time of day. Everybody else got sense enough to come out early in the morning before the sun gets high. Here she is in the middle of the day, all by herself, pulling them heavy water jugs to this water fountain. And this man met me at this fountain. And said, he's got some water. Well, I ain't got to come out here by myself no more. I want some of that water. Man, you about to give me a solution to a major problem in my life. I walk out here by myself every day in this hot sun to avoid all them other people. I could come with company. I could have came in the morning with the rest of the ladies. But they'd be talking about me. Because they know my past. So to avoid all that drama, I'll come out here when it's inconvenient, when the sun is high, and get my water by myself. Have you ever had to isolate yourself for your own sake? Because I don't feel like dealing with the drama. I just, I'll eat lunch alone. I don't feel like, I don't feel like going through all of that, so I'll just... Even though it's 100 degrees outside, I'll go have lunch in my car. And I'm going to waste my gas cranking up and putting on this air conditioning. But I don't want to deal with it today. 
Jesus got an answer for that. He's got a solution for that. So this lady said, this lady said to herself, she said, you know what? He has an answer. He has something that can fulfill me, that can bring me fulfillment. I'm interested now. I want to hear what you have to say. She realizes she has a need and Jesus has the answer. But many people today have yet to come to this realization. Even many people in the church have yet to come to the realization that no matter what your problem is, Jesus has the answer. And could it be that our minds are so deprived that we don't realize that we're chasing our own tails? You ever seen a dog do that? Could it be that our minds are so deprived? Here we are, we're searching for things that we're going to have to continue to search for. We're trusting in things that continue to fail us. We're leaning on a house of cards and the cards fall into the ground and we build it back up and lean on it again. At this, Jesus said to her, I'll skip down. Oh, Lord, y'all ready? When, at this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you've spoken truly in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you are now living with is not your husband. In this you have spoken true. Don't be, mm -hmm. I hear y'all. Don't judge that lady like that. Her go-to was men. What's your go-to? How many substitutes have we had? The thing is, she was thirsty before she met the first man. The first man probably was a good man. Just ain't satisfy her. So she looked for the second man. And who knows? The second man probably was a bum. I don't know. So she thought it was necessary to find her a third man. But even with the third man, she didn't find fulfillment. So there she is on man number four. And you would think that after a while, she would say to herself that maybe this is not the answer. But she went from number four to number five. But the truth be told, maybe men ain't your thing. Maybe people's not your thing. But if you were to do some introspection and really consider your ways, you would find a thing. All of us have a thing. All of us have a thing. All of us have a cycle. All of us have a cycle. Everybody. Everybody got a false crutch. She passed from number four to number five. Passed from number five. And here comes number six. But God is so good. Jesus is so good that at some point he interrupts our foolishness. Yeah. I'm just grateful that he's that loving. I'm just so glad that I don't got to have it all together. I don't have to get it right before he comes and intervenes in my life, but he'll meet me in my mess. Yeah. So here he is, here he is with this lady at this well. She's with man number six, and she's unsatisfied, she's unfulfilled, but man number seven is about to do her right. Yeah. 
And you know what the truth is? At some point, I don't even care. I don't care that it took me seven times. I don't care. I don't care as long as I get it eventually. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how many times I got to fall. That day, the day that I get it makes up for it all. Yes. Amen. Amen. So Jesus comes and finally brings her the satisfaction that she needs. Glory to God. And her life changed. You know the rest of the story. She goes back to her town. She witnesses to the people there. And the lady who was once on the outside, the lady who was once ostracized, is now remembered in history for bringing salvation to a whole region of people. Amen. Because only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. I remember what I was supposed to tell you from Galatians chapter 5. Did we read that yet? We didn't read it, did we? Did I tell you to go there? Let's go back. Galatians chapter 5. Yeah, we read, we read some of it. I didn't read the, 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 um, the, it didn't make the, the point that I wanted to make. Here it is right here. You ready? So in Galatians chapter 5, 19, we see that this, um, this desire that we have to, to choose substitutes or choose idolatry, it originates in our flesh. We're seeking some satisfaction in our flesh. And at the end of 21, at the end of Galatians 5, 21, put it up there for me. At the end of Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like, I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who do such things, say it with me, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're talking about finances. We're talking about provision. And we've been talking about God's way of providing for us. And we, we, we've searched through and we found out that the first step in, in, in being provided for God's way The first step is to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek his right way of doing things. Seek how the kingdom operates, how God's community works, right? And we understand that God's God's community always prioritizes people over everything else. So if I want to put myself in the way of his provision, if I want to be a distribution center, if I want to be a channel of his goodness, if I want his goodness to flow Through me, I've got to be pointed at other people because God prioritizes people over everything else, right? So if I'm a citizen of his kingdom, if I'm a citizen of his community, then I've got to align myself with the way of the community. So if the community that that I'm in values people, then I've got to value people. Right. This is God's way. This is God's way of doing things. Now, what this scripture says in Galatians chapter five is that people who have idols, people who seek idols, people who maintain idols aren't operating in God's way of doing things. One of the messages we, we, we shared, um, we talked about getting the knots out of your hose. Remember that? Taking the knots out, you know. I know all the men, all the young men, maybe the ladies too, but back in the day you had to wash the car, water the flowers, do that thing. You know, you better get them knots out, right? The knots in the holes interrupt the flow. The gardeners and all of my, my folks, right? Got to get the knots out. One of the knots that can interrupt the flow is idolatry. What have you put in God's place? What have you put in God's place? What, what have you put in God's place? What are you looking for to do what only God can do for you? 
The purpose of this message is to get us to do some introspection. Evaluate your life. Do I have anything? Is there an idol? Is there an idol in this camp? Is there an idol? Is there something that I put in a position? Is there something that has my attention? Am I looking for my spouse to do something for me that only God can do? Am I looking for my job to do something for me that only God can do? Am I looking for money to secure me when God is my security? Have I made decisions in order to attain something that I think is going to bring me security when I already got Jesus? Because if I have an idol, if I have a substitute, it will interrupt the flow. I won't be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Amen or amen. Amen. Is there an end? Is there a destination? Is there amount of money that will be a good substitute for Jesus? And of course, today we say no. But I want to probe at this for a little while. Is there an end? Is there a place? Is there a goal? If I can just get there, I'll be good. You know, we start off by hearing things from God and God gives us a, you know, he shows us our end from the beginning. Have we substituted the end for the relationship? I mean, what would really happen in our lives if we were to make it to that place? What would really happen to our relationship with him if I didn't have any financial challenges? I'm going to say something that y'all going to think so crazy, but it's so true. I think some of the best things that happen to people is to have some financial difficulty. There's some folk who need to be broke. Goodness, boy, God, dog, did he just say that? If, 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 you want to look up for, for God to do nothing for you. Some folk need some trouble every now and again. There are many of us who met Jesus in trouble. Thank you for the trouble. If it weren't for the trouble, I wouldn't know how good you were. If it weren't for lack, I wouldn't know that you can provide. So the message to Israel was, when I bring you out, when I bring you to that place of promise, when you got it going on, when the bank account is full, will you remember me? <laughs> Are you going to forget me? Whoo! Glory to God. How do we make idols out of these things? I've made an idol out of my goals. I've made an idol out of this destination. I've made an idol out of this place that I want to be in, and once I get there, I'm good. I got to develop the heart that Moses had. I often wondered why Moses didn't seem upset when God told him he wasn't going to be able to go into the promised land. You remember that? When Moses found out that he couldn't go in the promised land, Moses ain't trip out. 
That baffled me. I don't know. I would have been like, what? I would have turned in my resignation letter that day. <laughs> What's the point? I did all of this. I've been with these crazy people all this time. And you telling me that I can't go in? See y'all. The promised land wasn't Moses' destination. The promised land wasn't his goal. That ain't where Moses was trying to get to. Oh my goodness, man. You look at the account, Moses' destination was not the promised land. His goal was not to be there. That wasn't his goal. Even when he tells Pharaoh, you can read through Exodus and find it for yourself. He says to Pharaoh, he says, you got to let these people go so they can go in the wilderness and worship. Because there's something that happened to Moses. Moses was leading some sheep through the wilderness. And he had this experience. Moses, who already lived in a promised land. Moses was from the palace. Moses had it going on. Had it all good. And found out that that is unsatisfying. Here I am with everything around me. Everything I could ever want. And I'm still unsatisfied. There's still this empty place on the inside of me. Moses leaves it all, goes out into the wilderness and meets God. And he says, I know what these people need. I know what you need. I often wondered, I wondered this, coach. I wondered, why didn't Moses, why didn't God just use Moses to build an army of the Israelites and why didn't they just take over Egypt and stay in Egypt? I mean, they right there. Why didn't he just lead them on a revolt and they can just take Egypt? Because that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. I believe because of their mindset, they would, if that would have happened, they would have ran Egypt down and we probably never would have heard of Egypt because them broke-minded people would have got in there and <laughs> tore up everything. <laughs> and then what? You're back at square one. But Moses, on the backside of a mountain, met God. And he learned how to worship. And he found out that this God, this is Jehovah. This is the too much God. This is the God of abundance. This is the God that has everything that we need. And I saw the riches of Egypt, but they don't, they pale in comparison to God. If I could just get these people to this wilderness where they can experience what I experienced, then everything that they need will be taken care of. Let us go worship God in the wilderness. That was Moses' goal. That's what Moses wanted. That's what we got to realize. Man, if I got Jesus, I got it all. I don't care. I'm not going to be moved. I'm anchored in him. My goodness. He's the source of everything that I need. Not only is he the source, but he's the supply too. He's my fill. He's my bread. I'm good with him. I'm good with God. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I got God. I got it all. I got Jesus. He's everything that I need. 
Oh, glory to God. When we realize that, we'll be content people. When we realize that, we can stand in the same space as Paul, who said, I've learned the secret of everything. I've learned the secret of life. I've learned that I'm good when I'm a base. I'm learned when I'm good when I'm abound. No matter what it is, because I got Jesus, I can do all things through him because he strengthens me. Even when I'm weak, I'm strong. What does this have to do with my wealth, pastor? What does it got to do with my money? What does this have to do with my bank account? What does this have to do with my prosperity? What I'm trying to do is anchor you in him. If you understand that you've got him, you've got everything that you need. If you continue, if you look to him as the source of your supply, then you won't fall for the deception of the substitute. Glory to God. Idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God in a person's life, a person, a thing, a hobby. And here's the trick of idolatry. Here's the lie. Here's the deception. Here's the deception of the idol. You ready? The lie or the deception of of the idol is always in the first step. The lie, the deception of of the idol is always in the first step. You know you're dealing with an idol at the first step. You know you're dealing with an idol in the first step. You know you're serving an idol when you have to make the first move. If you've got to make the first move, it's an idol. You know it's an idol when you have to initiate the relationship. You know it's an idol if if you never went to see it, if you never went to see him or to see her, it would never Come see you, it's an idol. (laughs) Ask your neighbor, are you flirting with an idol? (laughs) When nothing happens without your involvement, it's an idol. You put the money on the table, walk away. When you come back, it's still going to be on the table. It's not going to chase you down and jump in your pocket because it's an idol. If you don't get up to go get it, it's going to stay where it is because it's an idol. That car is going to stay in the driveway. Until you go, crank it up, because it's an idol.
but God, the living God. God says, you ain't first love me. You're not here because you first loved me. I first loved you. You didn't warm yourself to me. I've been working before your daddy knew your mama. I was doing a work. And I'm faithful. I said that I'll save the generation of the righteous to a thousand generations. A thousand generations ago, I had you on my mind. And I set things up in a certain way that you will be where you are today. You're not here because you chose me. I chose you a long time ago. You didn't initiate this love relationship where we got going on. I've been working, baby, for a long time. Glory to God. I put all my ability at work so that we be right here together. I move mountains. I cause the sun to rise so that me and you can enjoy this day together long time ago. You don't have your hand on none of this. This all me. I'm a living God. Not a dead idol. Glory. I love it. Even when I'm not talking to him, he'll say something to me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Because he's a living God. And he's not an idol. And I don't have to chase him. But he'll find me. Because mm. there is no substitute. There's no substitute. Don't settle. Don't settle for a substitute. Don't settle for a substitute. If you got them, you're good. No, you need to realize that. I might not have what you have. I might not have what they say I need. But if I got him, I'm good. I'm good. Glory to God. So how do I keep from creating an idol? There's a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul is writing this letter to his son in the ministry, Timothy, and he says these words. He says, tell the rich in this world, tell the rich in this world. Understand this. I want to help you out, Americans. (laughs) You are the rich in this world. Yeah, he's talking to you. There's a statistic that says that if you earn over just $30,000, If you earn $30,000 a year, you're in the top 5% of the most wealthy people in the world. You are the rich in this world. You want to know how to stay away from an idol? This is what you need to do. Number one. Never allow possessions 
Never allow money or material riches to take the place of relationships. Never allow money, material possessions to take the place of relationships. Number two. Paul says, tell the rich in this world not to become reliant or overly confident in money. Don't become reliant or overly confident in money. What does that mean for us? That means that I should never look for money to do something that God can do for me. And then what that means, too, how do I make that practical? So even if I have the money, I still got to ask God. Even if I have enough to buy it, I still need to seek God's counsel. He's always first. And number three, how do I keep from creating an idol? Paul says, tell the rich in this world to do good. Use the riches of this world to build relationships. Use the riches of this world to build relationships. I don't, it is, so it doesn't matter what level I'm at. I should be using my resources in order to build relationships. What does that mean? I should be using my resources to better improve the quality of life for other people. And that, that's, I mean, in various forms. I can better improve the quality of my wife's life by buying her flowers or buying groceries. I can better improve the quality of someone else's life by um, donating to this school, supporting this organization. That's how I keep from making an idol. Stand on your feet. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.